was a month of December, and in homes all around, not a thing wasn't stirring. Busy chaos abounds. Demeanors of brashness flowed free without care in hopes that the other would treat them more fair. Whether in line or a meeting or digital post, angry comments and likes from those followed the most. When what to my world-wearied heart should appear but the kindness of Christmas, bringing love far and near. On Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday the same, be it listening or time spent, fan empathy's flame. To the day you grow old, from the day you can crawl, give away, give away kindness to all. The author is writing, his kindness so cheery, its power to wake and bring light to the weary. But lo, we must listen, and with him so exclaim, Merry kindness to all. Now to all show the same. Have you noticed that when you start looking for something, you begin to see it everywhere? A few years ago, my wife and I were researching used cars to buy, and we heard that Hyundais were a Consumer Reports best buy. And as I started researching about Hyundais, I started to see them everywhere on the road. It was like suddenly everybody bought this car, which wasn't true at all. They'd always been there. It's just my eyes had now been opened to what was always already there. That same experience has been true for me the last several weeks as we've been going through this kindness series. Maybe you've experienced the same thing. I have found all sorts of opportunities to be kind to other people. And I've caught myself a number of times in moments where I could have been more kind. In fact, that just happened to me a few weeks ago. A friend of mine who's a pastor up in the northern part of Minneapolis needed to get some equipment for his church. And so he called me and said, hey, would you give me a ride? I need to head out west of the cities to pick up some things. And so I did. And we were at this business picking up some of that equipment. And we were getting ready to leave. And the man who was helping us found out that my friend was a pastor and, and worked in and lived in the city. And he made some really unnecessary and honestly just unkind comments, generalizing people who lived in the city. And I looked over at my friend and shot him that look that was said like, hey, let's get out of here right now, like before this gets worse look. And that really wasn't me being kind. That was me just trying to be nice. And if you don't know the difference between nice and kind, go back to week one and get caught up about the difference between nice and kind. But my friend shot me back a look that said, uh-uh, here we go. And he turned around and looked at this man, and in the kindest way possible, he said to him, he said, now, brother, what makes you say that about people who live in the city? And then I watched my friend just pour all sorts of truth and a whole lot of grace into this stranger's life. And I kind of stood back and just watched this whole interaction unfold. And as I did, this question just rattled around in my mind. And maybe you have had a similar question that's been rattling around in your mind the last several weeks. Maybe there's a specific relationship that when you engage with that person, this question rattles around in your mind. Here's the big question. It's what keeps me from being kind? Like what keeps me from, from being so kind? Why is it that I just struggle at times to be kind to other people? 
And what I've realized and what we're going to experience today is that you and I have some kind of built-in barriers to kindness. In fact, there's probably a relationship in your life right now that the barriers to kindness are almost insurmountable. So I want you to think about this for, for just a moment. Who is a person in your life where that relationship could just use a good injection of kindness? Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a friend. Who, who is it for you? Are you thinking about somebody specifically? I'm actually gonna think about an individual uh, my, myself, a very specific person, and it's just, it's a strained relationship. So get that one person kind of firmly fixed in your mind. We'll, we'll give them a little bit of a scowl here because uh, it's, a, it's a tense relationship. Uh, now, chances are, here's what happens in the midst of that relationship. So regardless of the details, there is a dysfunctional cycle that you and that other individual are involved in. Here's where the dysfunctional cycle starts. They do something that irritates us, right? That's part of the reason that there's tension in this relationship. Maybe it's something where they just offend us in what they say. Maybe they're, they're just kind of an irritating personality or we, we just don't like what they're saying or what they're doing. Or maybe it's something worse. Maybe they sin against us. But whatever it is, that irritation results in us holding it against them. See, rather than properly dealing with it, we just kind of hold it against them. Now, at times, we will hold it against them, and, and we know that we're holding it against them. We give in to gossip. We start murmuring about them. We start grumbling about them. Some of the things that Pastor Dale talked about uh, last week. Uh, other times, when we hold it against them, we don't even realize we're holding it against them. It's kind of like this hidden grudge that, that we have in our life against that person. But regardless of if we know it or not, whenever we hold something against somebody else, here's what happens is it creates for us this emotional distance. Emotionally, we move away from that individual. Now, one of the reasons we move away from them is it's a form of protection, you know, if we're concerned that that person's not going to uh, treat us fairly or they're not going to be kind back to us or maybe they've, they've wounded us, we want to create a little bit of distance as, as a sense of protection. But the other reason, maybe even the larger reason that we create this emotional distance between us and this other person who has irritated us is because of this truth. It is easier to criticize and judge somebody from a distance. That's why people feel justified to hop on Twitter or call into radio shows to just rip apart athletes or to criticize politicians or to talk badly about leaders in, in businesses that are several levels removed from the individual because the further away you are from somebody, the easier it is to judge them and criticize them because solutions seem simple from a distance. But the closer you get to that person, the more you understand their situation, the more you understand the actual barriers that they're facing, it's really much more challenging to criticize people. But because we, we move away from these people who've been irritating us, there creates this emotional space. And honestly, it gets easier to, to be upset with them. And then that results in, oh, let's try that again. That results in us uh, creating uh, more opportunities to be irritated. So the cycle just continues and deepens and they'll irritate us and we hold it against them. And, and then we move further away from them and, and then down and down the spiral goes. And it seems like that relationship is just doomed and we can't ever break out of that cycle. Do you have some relationships in your life right now that just this describes it to a T? That's what's going on. You have this dysfunctional cycle. So how can kindness help us with this? Well, what if I told you 
that there was one specific thing that you and I could do. In fact, it's a specific thing that you and I are called to do by God that would break that dysfunctional cycle in that relationship. In fact, this is the beginning of crossing over that barrier to allow kindness to come back into that relationship. You wanna know what it is? Here it is. What we need to do, forgive them. Forgive them. Now you might be thinking, now hold on, they're the one who irritated me. Why do I need to forgive them? Or, or maybe you might approach this and say, well, hold on, I, I don't necessarily think that I'm the one that needs to forgive them, or, or maybe I'll forgive them once they have acknowledged properly that they have irritated me or they have wronged me, and once they ask for forgiveness, then I'll be willing to forgive them. But, but I, it shouldn't start with me. It needs to start with them because they're the problem and they're the one who irritated us. Well, the problem with that thinking is that's not what God calls us to do. See, the Apostle Paul wanted early Christians to understand just how transformative it was to follow Jesus. He wanted us to understand that when we say yes to Jesus, we're embracing this incredible new truth and reality that God has done for us, but it begins to change within us. And we then need to act differently. We need to become different type of humans that engage in a different way. We become people of kindness. And so today, I want to take a look at a short passage that's found in Paul's letter to the Colossians that describes in really specific ways and very practically how we can start to bring kindness into those troubled relationships. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open it up to Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to spend our entire time together in just verses 13 through 16. So we're going to unpack these verses slowly today because there's a lot here for us to understand. So Colossians 3, and uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, I'll go through uh, these passages here uh, for us. But Colossians 3, 13, let's begin here. Paul writes this. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Okay, we just said that. But again, the question is, well, Paul, why should we be the one who needs to forgive? The other person is the one who wronged us or wounded us. And then Paul, like he anticipates that question, answers it. He says, you need to forgive as the Lord forgave you. So the whole reason that we're supposed to be people of forgiveness is because we have been forgiven people. Well, so how has God forgiven us? Well, here's what's incredible. Just like you and I have this kind of dysfunctional cycle that we can get into with people who irritate us or difficult relationships, did you know that you and I, at one point before we accepted Jesus, we had a dysfunctional relationship with God? And it wasn't God's fault. It was all on us. We had a dysfunctional cycle with God. In fact, if you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've kind of been hearing about following Jesus, but you haven't embraced it yet, you're stuck in this cycle. And the reason that you're stuck in the cycle is why faith hasn't ever seemed to work for you or religion hasn't worked for you is because you need God to help break this cycle. So what is that cycle? Well, let's take a look at, at this cycle. Uh, here, it starts here with, with us sinning. That's where we begin this dysfunctional cycle. We sin. You think, well, why start with sin? Well, the reason we need to start with sin is because this is something that's just inherent in who we are. We're born into this. If, if I was at a theology conference right now, I would tell you that this is the doctrine of total depravity. Now, if uh, that seems like a big phrase for you or that's something that doesn't make any sense to you, uh, here's all you need to know by that. Uh, what this means is uh, it, it's basically 
the fact that we don't have to teach kids how to lie. They just, they just know how to do it. First time our kids lied to us at a young age, it was like, who taught them this? You don't have to teach a child to be self-centered. See, we have this internal wiring, just this, this built-in nature where we tend to be for us. And it's a sinful nature that is true for every single one of us. And while that's true, some people will say, well, if all of us have this sinful nature, then maybe it's not a big deal, but it's a huge deal. And that's what this dysfunctional cycle uh, is perpetuated by. See, we have this sinful nature and we sin, we act out in ways that God tells us not to, and that sin causes death. That's what sin does. Sin causes death. And in fact, Paul will tell us in the book of Romans that the wages of sin is death. And the reason for that is because God is life. That's who God is. And sin is doing anything that's away from God's will. It's stepping outside of what God wants. So if you step outside of life, you are inherently stepping into death. And we know this to be true in terms of our own relationships. The reason that you're stuck in that dysfunctional cycle with that other person is because of sin. And that sin is causing a relational death that's happening there in that relationship. And the same is true for for our relationship with God. Sin causes a sense of spiritual death in our lives. And and more damaging than that, what, what happens is that sin separates us from God because God is life. And if we embrace sin, we're embracing death. Death can't be in the presence of life. It keeps us away from God. And the problem with that is that now that we're separated from God, it just allows more sin to happen in our lives. And so we get stuck in this ever present perpetual cycle that it's like we can never break out of where we're just kind of stuck in our own sinfulness. And the reason we get stuck in our own sinfulness is because here's the reality, you can't fix dead. Spiritually speaking, when you're dead, you can't break out of it because the problem actually started with you. It's inside of you. You need something else to break out of this cycle. What we need is we need for God to intervene. And he has. And how has he broken our dysfunctional cycle that we started? He did it by his own forgiveness. And that's the story that Jesus wants to explain to us in a parable that he tells in Matthew chapter 18. It's all about how God has broken that dysfunctional cycle that we had with him. Here's how Jesus describes it in Matthew 18. Jesus says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of the debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Can you imagine owing millions of dollars? Um, He couldn't pay it. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. Okay, what Jesus is describing here is what is a spiritual reality for you and me. This is a, a, a hypothetical story, but it's so true for our current reality in in a spiritual sense. You and I owe God, because of our sin, a debt that we can never possibly pay, and it will eventually cost us our entire life. That's what Jesus is saying. That's how significant the debt is. So what's gonna happen? 
The story continues, but the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all, the man said, which actually wasn't true because there was no way that this man would have been able to repay it. And the master knew that because the master didn't try to create for him a repayment plan or put him on a schedule. He knew, listen, there's no way you're gonna be able to pay it. So I'm just gonna have to sell you because because that's the the only way I'll get anything from you. And, And yet this guy is pleading with him. And so the master doesn't respond because he actually thinks the man will pay it back. He responds, why? Because it said, then his master was filled with pity for him. He had compassion on him. Just like God has had compassion on us. And what happened? And he released him and he forgave his debt. I want you to hold on to that word, released him. He released him. There's something about forgiveness and being released that's really key here. But he forgave him everything. This man had been set free. He is now debt-free. He is a new man. He has a new lease on life. This this ongoing cycle of debt he was stuck in has been broken. Well, how is he going to respond? And how he responds is something that hits real close to home for you and me. Jesus goes on this way. He says, but when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I'll pay it, he pleaded. Sounds familiar. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full, which by the way, is a really bad place to put somebody if you actually expect them to repay because you just can't earn a whole lot of money when you're in prison. And when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that it happened, Uh uh-oh, how's the king gonna respond? Then the king called in the man who had forgiven him and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brother and sister from your heart. The point that Jesus is making here is that forgiven people forgive people. You and I have been forgiven by God. He has forgiven us for all of our sins. Listen, I just want you to know that right now, regardless of your past, regardless of what you have done, it does not matter. God has forgiven you if you've accepted Jesus. It is all been forgiven. You have been released from a tremendous, unpayable debt. God has broken that cycle between us that kept us separated from God, and now we have a chance to have a new life in a new way with him. And the expectation is is then we're supposed to treat others in the same way. And specifically, there are a couple of ways in which we may need to give forgiveness to somebody else in order to break those barriers that prevent kindness from occurring. Here's the first one. Uh, We need to be able to forgive people for what they have done to us or done to you. There may be somebody in your life who has done something and you need to specifically forgive them for the wrong that they have committed against you. You know, when someone does something uh, that is wrong to us, when when somebody uh, offends us, when they wound us, when they sin against us, they quite literally take something from us. Now, maybe they took something physical. Maybe they took money from you But chances are they took more than that. They took your dignity. They took a sense of self-respect or self-worth. 
They stole your innocence. And those things that they have taken from you, listen, they can never possibly repay you. Ever. And so when we refuse to forgive somebody for what they've done to us, we are, we are expecting and demanding that they're going to pay us back something that they could never pay back. And that's why forgiveness at its heart, actually, it doesn't say that what that person did is, is now okay or that it didn't matter or, you know, it, like we'll just forget that it ever happened. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is simply saying, I'm going to choose to release you from paying back what you could never pay me back anyway. And when that happens, actually healing can come into our lives. And that's really important for us to understand because forgiveness does not mean forgetting. Listen, if you forgive somebody and they've wronged you, it doesn't mean you need to go back into that relationship and allow that person to repeat the hurt. That's not forgiveness. Just real practically, I'll just tell you here at Wooddale Church, we have a, a, a big accounting team and an accounting department. And... Um, you are not allowed to work in that accounting department. You can't volunteer for the accounting department if you've ever been convicted of stealing money. And that's not because we don't want to be people of forgiveness or we don't believe in reconciliation. We do. It's just clearly you've had a temptation of stealing money before. We don't want to put you back in that situation. It would be unwise for us to do that. And there's a lot of other places where you can serve. Folks, the same is true in our own relationships. When you forgive someone, it doesn't mean you forget and it doesn't mean like you pretend that that thing never happened. Don't allow yourself to go back in to a relationship where somebody especially could be in an abusive situation to you. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is releasing them from paying back what they could never pay back in the first place. And if somebody's wronged you, it's good to be specific about what you are forgiving them for so you can release it. Now, here's the second place that we may need to have forgiveness in our lives. We may need to forgive somebody for what they haven't done for you. Now, oftentimes, we have unspoken expectations for other people. And when they don't fulfill them, we can hold against them those things. So maybe there's somebody in your life that you need to be specific about forgiving for an unmet expectation uh, that they, they have done against you. You know, for some of you, uh, you love your birthday. Uh, you think your birthday should be like a national holiday. You have a countdown to your birthday, and when it's time for your birthday, you celebrate the whole week, maybe the whole month, and you just love it when people lavish on you on your birthday. And if you are one of those people, or if you know one of those people, inevitably somebody in your life is going to come up short on your birthday. And it feels kind of awkward to like go sit down with somebody and be like, hey, I just don't feel like you really celebrated me well enough on my birthday. You know, the gifts you gave were, you know, kind of subpar. That just feels really awkward. So often maybe, you know, you'll just be passive aggressive and secretly kind of hold back and, and, and maybe, you know, kind of keep a, an emotional distance from that person because they, they offended you. And so now you're going to offend them. Folks, sometimes we just need to forgive people for, for not meeting uh, those expectations. And in a very specific way, uh, oftentimes that means that they haven't met our needs. And that's the third way that we may need to forgive people. We may need to forgive them for not meeting our needs. Now, I, I want to talk to um, husbands and wives here for just a moment. Uh, listen, husbands and wives, uh, th there's a lot of relationship needs that come in a marriage relationship. And while this is true for every relationship, it's especially true in a marriage relationship uh, husbands, you are called by God to love your wives. And wives, you're called by God in scripture to respect your husbands. But oftentimes, guys, here's the reality. Like, we'll just come up short on showing love to our wives. 
And when that happens, wives, sometimes it's really hard to respect your husband because they just haven't been loving toward you. And guys, if somebody's not respecting us, it's really hard to love them. And so there can be this, this cycle, this crazy cycle that you could get into in that marriage relationship where there's a lack of love and a lack of respect. And the only way to break that is at some point, one of you has to say, enough is enough. I'm gonna choose to forgive that person for not meeting my needs. And I'm gonna go ahead and meet their needs, even though they don't deserve it. And when that happens and respect is shown, then a little bit of love starts to come back into that relationship. And then that drives a little more respect and a little more love. And actually you can have the cycle reverse. So at times we may need to forgive people for just not meeting our needs. And the fourth and the final way we may need to forgive people, and this one sounds kind of awkward, but it is really true. We need to forgive people for just not being us. You know, at times we see people act in a certain way and we're like, why would you do that? Why would you act that way? And it's just the reality is they're just being different than, than we are. Uh, just a few weeks ago, my wife and I were out to dinner and uh, Steph ordered fish tacos and the server who was taking our order said, oh no, 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 you don't want to do that. Do not order the fish tacos. I'm not going to let you order the fish tacos. There's like some mystery fish there, order something else. So uh, she walked away after taking our order of chicken because when you're not sure what to do, that's what you do. And I turned to Steph and I said, I can't believe she said that to you. I would never have said that to a customer. Now think about that statement for a minute. What am I doing right there? In that moment, I'm being really unkind because I'm saying I'm like way up here and the server is like way down here. And from a distance, I'm judging that person saying I would never do what they did. Here's the reality. I don't know the whole story. Maybe the fish tacos are really that bad. I don't know. But the reality is, I'm, I'm inserting my own perspective and I'm coming from a judgmental spirit. Folks, you can't, you can't be kind to your grandkids. You can't be kind to your in-laws. You can't be kind to your coworkers if you're walking around judging them for, for not thinking, not behaving, not acting like, like you do. But when we're able to release them from that and acknowledge that, oh my goodness, it allows us to get on a whole nother plane and a whole nother level with them and start to understand what's happening in their life. And so forgiveness begins the process of tearing down those barriers that allows kindness to come into that relationship. But then real quick, there's something else that can come flooding and rushing into that relationship once forgiveness has cleared the way. And that's what Paul tells us next in the next couple of verses. Look at them with me in uh, verses 14 and 15. He says, over all of these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Then he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. So there's three things right there that Paul is saying that need to be present in our lives and in our relationships. It's love, it's peace, and it's thankfulness. And just really practically, these are three wonderful things that can be present in our speech to help bring kindness back into a troubled and difficult relationship. So how do we do that practically? Well, let me just give you a couple key things to think about. These are maybe, maybe things to think about before you speak. Here's the first one. Uh, we can ask ourselves: is this loving? Is what I'm about to say for the good of the other person? See, love is not an emotion. Love's not a feeling. Love is a series of actions that are always for the good of the other person. That's what love is truly all about. So when we say we wanna love somebody, it means I wanna take intentional actions to do something that's for your good, not necessarily based on how I feel. That's what love's all about. 
And so when we speak, to ask, is this loving, doesn't mean, is this a nice thing to say? It doesn't mean, do I feel like saying it? That's not what love is. Love is saying, if I say this, is this going to be profitable? Is this going to be beneficial? Is this going to be for the good of the other person? So often when we speak, we speak for our own good. Oh, what if, what if we start, stopped by saying, hey, what can I say that would be for the good of this other person? The second way we can put this into practice is to ask the question, is this peaceful? You know, peaceful doesn't just mean the absence of conflict, uh, but peaceful really wants to build relationally a bridge. Peacefulness is all about reconciliation. It's all about bringing the two that were once at a distance together. That's why this is kind. See, if we want to just be nice in our language, we would just kind of stand at a distance and and wave at that person and be like, I'm just not going to start a conflict. But that's not peace. Peace says, hey, listen, instead of battling over words, I want to build a bridge with our words. I, I want to bring that relationship closer together. Is what I'm going to say going to build a relational bridge with that other person? It's a great question to ask ourselves. And then the third question we can ask ourselves is this, is this thankful? Are my words filled with gratitude? You know, so often we we can focus on what's not right in our language and in our words as opposed to shine a light on what is right. And I'll tell you, I'm really guilty of this, especially during times of stress. You know, we're coming up here, wrapping up the Christmas season at church. And the Christmas season, for those of us in the church world, is a busy time. It is intense. And so often in the midst of the stress of Christmas, I can come hyper-focused on all the small little details that aren't perfect or didn't go right. And that can really wear out a team. And so as we've been going through this series and specifically this passage, I've been convicted that I actually have sat down a couple of times this month and, and called people or sent people messages that just said, hey, I want to point out to you a couple of things that I'm really grateful for. And uh, I, just, you know, I just assume that you would know this. And by taking a couple of moments to actually speak words of gratitude toward other people, man, it's so kind and it just, it just helps to, to enhance that relationship and, and, and bring a sense of, of warmth and, and closeness with that other person. That's a great, great question for us to ask ourselves. So as you think about those three questions, I, I think the, the thing is, well, what does that practically look like for us? How can we, how can we put this into practice? And I was having a conversation recently with one of our pastors, Dan Carlson. Dan is our pastor of care ministries here at Wooddale. And he told me this story that just summed this whole message up beautifully. Here's what Dan said. Dan told me that a number of years ago, his father-in-law, who was a farmer, was out one day checking his fields. And so he was at one field and then he was driving to another field to, to check on it. And as he pulled out onto the highway to go to that next field, he was hit and he was killed by a semi-truck driver. And his father-in-law and his mother-in-law are people of deep faith. And Dan is a pastor and been a pastor for a number of years. And so they asked if Dan would officiate the funeral. And so there's Dan officiating the funeral, kind of getting all the family ready to go. It's about 20 minutes before the funeral service starts. And someone comes running up to Dan and says, Dan, Dan, I need to talk to you. And so Dan said, well, what's, what's going on? And they said, he's here. The driver of the semi-truck is here. What do we do? And so Dan walked out to the lobby and found that semi-truck driver. And Dan said, I could spot him right away. He said he was just hunched over, just feeling like the weight of the world had been resting upon this man. I mean, he was at this funeral and he was partly responsible for this funeral taking place. And so Dan walked up to him and the man said, I didn't know if I should come. 
He said, my insurance company told me not to come, but I've been talking to my pastor and my pastor told me maybe it would be a good idea. I just, I just don't know if I did the right thing by coming. And Dan said, about that time, his mother-in-law, who had just recently lost the love of her life, had heard that the driver was there at the funeral and she wanted to talk to him. And so Dan said he saw her coming across the room toward this man and she got right up into that man's face, eyeball to eyeball, this was before COVID, and she just got real close and then she put her hands on his shoulders and she said, I want you to know I forgive you. And I'm so thankful that you're here. You're welcome to stay as long as you need. Thanks for being here. And she turned and walked away. And Dan said, the man looked over at Dan and Dan said, I have to tell you, not only am I the pastor officiating, but I'm also the son-in-law. And on just behalf of the whole family, I want you to know this will be hard, but this is gonna be good. Thanks for being here. And Dan said, after the service, that man walked out of the church a free man. His countenance had totally changed. Instead of being hunched over and just the weight of the world, his, his chest was up and he walked out, not any easier, but knowing that he had been forgiven. Folks, that's kindness in action. Forgiveness given, words of love spoken, words of peace spoken and gratitude offered. And what a great image of kindness. And the question is, well, where does that come from? I mean, is that just because Dan's a pastor and, and they just, you know, they're, they're just super spiritual superheroes? Is, is that where that comes from? No, where it comes from is the final verse in this passage. Let me just read this to you as we end. Paul writes this. He says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonister one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. Folks, where this all comes from is it comes from the fact that we let the message of Jesus Christ dwell within us. Because when we do, we are reminded of what is true. We are reminded about how we are forgiven people. We're reminded about how God has spoken love for our good into our lives. We're reminded that God has spoken peace into our lives and that we have so much to be thankful for because of Jesus Christ. Folks, the reason that, that we stress on a regular basis to be reading your Bible, to, to be in worship services together, to, to engage in scripture, the reason we do all that is so that the message of Christ will dwell in you because when it does, we're reminded about how kind God has been to us. And it allows us to then share that kindness with other people. So as you go into the end of this last week of the year and prepare for what is to come next year, I want to encourage you to carve time out in your schedule to just let the message of Christ dwell in you so that you can then share that message of Christ with those around you who need to experience the kindness of God through you. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for loving us Father, thank you for stepping into the midst of our mess and giving us hope and a new future. Father, thanks for giving us the opportunity to be born anew. Lord, so we don't have to try to fix ourselves. Father, your forgiveness has broken all of the barriers to kindness in our lives. And so, Father, I pray that we then in turn would go 
and be able to show your forgiveness and your love and your peace to those around us. And Father, I pray that we would not attempt to do this out of our own effort, but Father, we would attempt to do this out of the overflow of the love that we receive by reflecting on what you have done for us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.